2: To get to Volker Lehman's compound in the Amazon, you have to really want to get there. For me, that involved a red eye from Miami to Santa Cruz, Bolivia's biggest city, then a puddle jumper to a town called Trinidad. A sweaty night there, and then nine grueling hours in a Colectivo taxi, squeezed between farmhands and crying babies, hammering over washboard roads at 30 miles per hour, which is about 20 miles per hour too fast. At last, I got dropped off at Volker's place.
3: Hello. Hello.
2: It's changed since my visit 12 years ago for our river trip. Volker's built himself a crazy new house, all screen. No walls. A few feet away, there's an outhouse with tree frogs in the toilet, a workshop with a generator, and a big greenhouse for fermenting cacao. There's papaya trees and bananas and a tiny white local chili called gusanito. It looks like little worms. They're brutally hot, but Volker munches them like popcorn. Surrounding it all, of course, are the cacao trees, 500 acres of them. Volker calls the place tranquilidad. It means tranquility in Spanish. And most of the time, the name fits. Most of the time. So um, if you, can you run down all the things to watch out for if I'm wandering
3: around? Uh, I always uh, tell the people when they come, please don't touch anything. Um, I, I think uh, National Geographic and all animal planet, they, they give a false perspective. There are people, you know, gripping crocodiles and snakes and, and whatnot. And right. So, so don't touch the crocodiles or the snakes is uh, the big no. rule? Yeah. No. There's actually a lot of
2: crocodiles not to touch. The place is filled with them. Technically, the ones in the Amazon are called caimans, not crocodiles. But I know a crocodile smile when I see one. The big ones in Bolivia can be more than 12 feet long. And Volker says to stay away from them because they like to charge people. But the smaller ones, well, he's caught a five-footer in honor of our reunion. And now he's prepping it for dinner.
3: We have, uh, like, ribs and tail.
2: The tail will eat raw with lime juice, like ceviche. The ribs get fried.
3: Not too long, so it stays juicy inside. It's wonderful.
2: When you're talking about wild chocolate, this is ground zero. Tranquilidad is where the movement was born. The beans from these trees produced the first run of Sauvage and set off the gold rush to find more lost cacao with wicked new flavors. I've come to work the harvest, to learn the arts of picking and fermenting, to understand on a deeper level where great chocolate comes from. The last time I was here, a dozen years ago, the trip had gone from bad to absurd, but it ended well. Volker lined up lots of new sources of cacao, Crucivage was a hit, and Volker became a legend in the fine chocolate community. And then, something went terribly wrong. I've only heard the details from a distance, but it's like those
3: golden pods were cursed. Yeah, I had no intention to dig into this jungle. Actually, I I fell into the trap. Uh, I was just looking for some stupid cacao in the forest. I wasn't even, planning on this <laughs> yeah well you'll see what happened
2: for 30 years he's been chasing that grail always believing it was one step away always believing that with just a little more organization the amazon would fall into place And of course, he was just the latest in a long line of outsiders to believe that he could make sense of the chaos. From the Spanish gold hunters and the Jesuits to the rubber barons of the 1800s and the explorer Percy Fawcett, who disappeared in 1925, still seeking the lost city of Z. And to the characters in Werner Herzog's Amazon films and even Herzog himself, who seems to have gone at least partially insane trying to make those movies.
3: What are your plans when this movie's all over? What are you going to be doing?
2: I shouldn't make movies anymore. should go to a lunatic asylum <laughs> right away. These dreamers always think they're close. And every time, the same thing happens. Their attempts to make it work, on their terms, fail. From Kaleidoscope and iHeart Podcasts, this is Obsessions, Wild chocolate. I'm Rowan Jacobson. Chapter 2 Bolivia for Dummies. Long before he ever saw cacao pot, Volker Lehmann was a little boy in Berlin with a green thumb. His father was an army veteran and a coal miner battling exhaustion and PTSD.
3: He came from work, and then he went for one or two hours into the garden. Yeah. And that helped him also to maybe forget a little bit about, uh, about the, the harsh conditions in the coal mine. By the time he was five, Volker was gardening right alongside him. I had to pull out the weeds, and well, sometimes I missed, and I pulled out the carrots. But Well, part of the, you know,
2: education. But he never much liked the German climate. After high school, he took a trip to Latin America. And compared to the gray horizons of post-war Germany, it was like stepping into a technicolor wonderland.
3: I was intrigued by the climate, the music, the food. It's like you feel friendly.
2: But it wasn't just the culture around farming. Volker was amazed by the power of tropical plants, the way they grew so ferociously, and the incredible amount of food and medicine they could produce. And at 21, he decided to devote his life to them. He knocked around the tropics for a few years doing development work. And by the 1990s, he'd found his way to Bolivia. The German government had a program to try to get Bolivia's farmers to switch from coca to less controversial crops. And Volker's job was to teach the farmers how to work with the new ones. Bolivians consider coca their most sacred plant. The leaves are chewed daily for stamina and stimulation, but they're also the source of cocaine. And in the 1990s, Bolivia was awash in the stuff. Volker told me about those strange days as we sat in his jungle home.
3: No, but Santa Cruz was, was like carnival in Rio 24 seven. Actually, uh, Bolivia and Santa Cruz was the expansion project from the Colombians. <laughs> yeah, because they needed more for you, you know.
2: That is you being me, being America. They needed more cocaine to feed our insatiable appetite, more than they could produce in Colombia.
3: Right, right. Yeah. So first, they moved into Peru, and then that wasn't enough. Then they moved over and uh, to to Bolivia. People were coming from Colombia by planes, small planes, mm-hmm. bringing even their bands with them. <laughs> bringing the band. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: Yes, you heard that right. If you're a Colombian drug dealer on the Bolivian range, how do you party without your local tunes?
3: There was a small town Santa Ana de Yukuma, uh, which was then the hotspot. Yeah. yeah. Now did you ever have to worry about crossing those guys? No sometimes you? you sit next to one and he would not he would invite you. Oh you're American, yeah where you come from. He wants to know who we are if you're not from DEA, right? Yeah right. And yeah. then he, he he puts a bottle of whiskey into you and then you start singing, you know, and <laughs> and then he says, Oh this this guy is harmless. So as
2: Volker continued his work, he found himself caught between his new friends, the farmers, and the DEA. Santa Ana was known as a ranching town, but it was also the heart of Bolivia's cocaine network, because, as it turned out, the ranchers and the traffickers could be one and the same.
3: Because when you have a farm, spaces, when yeah. you have a farm here, yeah, you have a plane. Yeah, normally. And now, to overwatch 30,000 hectares. And and you have to travel. No roads. The natural All thing pilots. is to to buy yourself a Cessna. Mm-hmm. Then the pilot can transport some some packages. You know, I mean you know, make some side business. Right. And of course, that side business
2: turned out to be a lot more lucrative than cattle. Soon, Bolivia's ranchers were saddle deep in the drug business, and everyone knew it. On the night of June twenty eighth, nineteen ninety one, the DEA took action dozens of helicopters carrying hundreds of anti-drug agents from Bolivia and the United States, swooped down on Santa Ana. According to the DEA, agents destroyed 15 cocaine labs hidden in the little town and confiscated dozens of planes along with hundreds of kilos of Coke. But they met stiff resistance from the townspeople who stormed the airport and surrounded the helicopters chanting, kill the Yankees, leaving no uncertainty as to where their loyalties lay. Volker tried hard to persuade farmers to switch crops, but eventually he burned out. Bananas, pineapple, hearts of palm, none of the alternative crops could ever compete with money. He felt useless, so he went back to his original obsession, studying the local plants. And before long, he was searching the rainforest for the next big thing, a plant with global appeal. Like a vegetal talent scout, he needed a buzzy new client. and. He found one. But it wasn't cacao. Not yet. It was Brazil nuts, one of the great treats of the Amazon.
3: The territory of Bolivia was always the main uh, source or the main spot of, of the Brazil nuts. Always. Even because Brazil chopped theirs down or even before? No, it's, uh, yeah. Um, and um, the nuts were always sold through Brazil. Mm. And this is why they're called Brazil nuts, but they always they came be, from Bolivia. Be Bolivia nuts, really.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Brazil nut trees are these giants of the rainforest, towering over the rest of the canopy. They have these little coconuts the size of bocce balls clinging to their trunks, and each one is filled with delicious nuts. The trees are kind of perfect for developing a rainforest economy. Wild, sustainable, delicious. But on their own, they aren't exactly a big-ticket item. Volker needed a sexier product, and he thought he might have the perfect candidate.
3: A lady from the Chimana tribe, she showed me the wild cacao,
2: a few years earlier, Volker had been exploring the jungle for valuable new plants. The natural people to ask were the Shimani, a group of hunter-gatherers who still lived off the wild. And one old Shimani woman in particular was known for her expertise.
3: A friend introduced me. Uh, he said, I, I know Chimane and they have some cacao that might be of your interest. Let's go.
2: And Not just any cacao. Wild cacao. Something Volker had never come across in his development work. So they went to the forest and found the old woman. She lived in a tent made from sticks and palm thatch. And she knew all the useful plants in the forest.
3: I still can see her. You know, she was really tiny.
2: They asked if she could show them the wild cacao. And she said, sure. And she led them down a footpath into the forest.
3: So we were walking and I was behind her, uh, saw her hair like a nest. And her, her hair was a little monkey.
2: It was a little pet monkey, and Volker could not stop looking at it.
3: There are tiny monkeys here, huh. right? And she got one, and I was following her and looking at the monkey all the time. And all of a sudden, she she, she stopped and showed me a cacao tree.
2: And here it is, the origin moment of the man who's going to make wild chocolate famous. In the Hollywood version of this tale, the wise woman hands him the yellow pod and he stares transfixed, like Indiana Jones gazing at the golden idol. Here is the answer he seeks, the thing that is going to bring sustainable agriculture to the Amazon and transform the world of chocolate. Does he break open the pod, sniff the fragrant seeds, and hold it up like the holy grail?
3: I wasn't really interested in the tree much, really. I said, oh yeah, uh, I see cacao, okay. <laughs>
2: nope. All he could think about was the monkey.
3: And then my friend said, yeah, do you think this is something? I said, I have no idea.
2: But he tucked the experience away in the back of his mind. And when he was searching for a sexy partner to enrobe his Brazil nuts, he unpacked it. And we will too after the break.
0: you're happy and you know it san diego is the place to show it book your family vacation at san Diego.org, funded in part with the city of san diego tourism marketing district assessment funds
1: this is it your moment this is your time to make your comeback with purdue global when you come back with a purdue global degree you create opportunity for yourself your family and your future it's a degree you can be proud of a degree that employers will trust and respect Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
2: Welcome back to Wild Chocolate.
3: You so we we put this, uh, what Oh, you call this? What's, what's A grater. A, a grater? Yeah. Yeah. So you
2: just in La Paz and Santa Cruz and the other cities of Bolivia, you see rustic chocolate for sale on the markets. Grainy brown patties shaped by hand, just like you see in Mexico. It's an old tradition in Bolivia.
3: And they use stone on, right, on stone right. grinders. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how it's still done here. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. This is the same maybe uh, three hundred fifty years ago. Okay.
2: Amazing. Yeah. But if you bite into one of these patties by itself, you're in for a bad time. Some of it tastes burnt, some tastes like blue cheese, and it all crumbles like dirt. For the locals, that doesn't really matter because it all gets drunk as hot chocolate with enough sugar to cover up any off flavors. For Volker, though, this chocolate wouldn't cut it. There was no way he could coat his precious Brazil nuts in this stuff and pass it off as a gourmet item. He needed better chocolate, but he couldn't find any. He considered giving up on the whole idea. But then, he found a tiny rundown chocolate shop in a back alley of La Paz. The proprietor
3: was an 85-year-old Jewish man who had escaped the Warsaw ghetto during World War II. And he he was like a a very traditional chocolate lover and had a small um, chocolate factory.
2: Jewish artisans have been at the heart of Europe's chocolate-making tradition since the days of the Spanish court. And this old guy knew the tradition well. When Volker tasted his chocolate, he could not believe his taste buds. It was not terrible, but why? Volker put the questions to him. And it turned out the guy was doing what European chocolate makers have always done when stuck with funky beans. They beat the warm cocoa mass for hour after hour in a machine to blow off as much of the off flavors as possible. It wasn't perfect but it was enough for Volker to get his first real sense of the beans behind the funk. And he liked what he sensed. Behind the char and the cheese, there was something beautiful. At heart, Volker's an engineer. When he sees a system he thinks is running poorly, that could be so much better with just a few tweaks, he can't resist. So now, he couldn't help wonder if the funk was built into the beans or if there was a way to get the beauty without the beast. And there was only one way to answer that. He had to go to the source. And that meant a scruffy town called Trinidad, where everything the jungle produced, from cacao to cocaine, could be found for sale.
3: Trinidad is, uh, is the center yeah. of, of trade. And then were people running up and down the river with, uh, and, and doing barter, the
2: barter business. Traders would spend weeks in the jungle, then paddle into Trinidad to sell their goods. No, like
3: the rice and and everything you need. Because
2: there's no there's no money
3: system. Left. No, it was easier. It was easier that way. Yeah. You know, give me wood, give me bananas, give me cocoa, and and or, or whatever you have. And what the market accepts, then turn into money. Uh, cacao is money, basically.
2: So Volker it flew to Trinidad. Cacao. He started hanging out, getting like to know the locals. Asking questions.
3: But how do, you, how do you even do that? No, you just ask around. Uh, I, I was talking to more elderly people because they were telling me better the story. So I was sitting with them having tea and, and, and chats. Yeah. And then little by little, I got the picture. You know,
2: Most of the cacao was coming from a town called Baures. Baures was truly at the end of the earth days from Trinidad by river. But of course, like every other town in the cocaine-soaked lowlands, it had an airstrip. So Volker hired a plane and headed for it, never guessing how much his life was about to change.
3: There was no road, no electricity, nothing. No, no not even phone, nothing. We were talking uh, on, on on shortwave uh, radio.
2: But As he got to know the people in Bowers the picture got even clearer. And that picture? Well, he almost had to pinch himself. The cacao was coming from islands of high ground scattered across the wetlands, natural terraces that didn't get drowned during the four-month rainy season. The locals called these forest islands Chocolatales.
3: It was always harvested and used uh, for local chocolate industry, yeah, but on a very, very low price.
2: During the wet season, when the cacao was ripe, families would travel to the Chocolatales by canoe. The journey alone could take days. Then they'd camp in the forest for months, picking the pods, opening them, and drying the beans on mats in the sun. Then they'd sell the beans back in town. But the tradition was dying. In Bolivia's cities, people were switching over to powdered cocoa mix, which was easier to use. Prices for the wild cacao were too low to justify the work. The kids were less interested. So the people were starting to give up on the yearly trips. Many of the Chocolatales had been abandoned. A few had been cut down for cattle grazing. It didn't take long for Volker to understand why the quality was bad. Two essential steps to making great beans are pretty darn hard to do in the Amazon. Drawing beans in the rainforest without a shelter of any kind is impossible. Many of the beans were moldy, and even the ones that weren't moldy had very little chocolate flavor. Fresh cacao beans are naturally bitter and astringent. They have to be heaped together with their sugary pulp for days and fermented to transform those nasty flavors into chocolatey ones. Unfortunately, most of the people in the world harvesting cacao don't have the time, expertise, or facilities to do it properly. And that was the case in Bolivia. And that spoke to Volker's engineer soul. A little training and infrastructure, a microdose of good old German organization could make all the difference. All he needed was to see just how much cacao was out there and if it was at all feasible to improve the fermenting and drying. But getting around the roadless jungle was brutal.
3: There were certain islands I, I wanted to go to, so I had to find a horse and a guide. Sat on the horse. After two hours, I couldn't, I couldn't feel my legs anymore. <laughs> and And after six hours, I couldn't feel anything anymore. You know, I was like, I was uh, in full pain. Days on the range, in the sun, battling heat and bugs. The horses, uh, they attract also all kinds of flies uh, that sting and suck your blood. And so you're fighting with the horse together, you know, not not to, uh, to leave too much blood every day, you know, <laughs> when, when you're there. And we're seeing all kinds of things on the horizon, you know, from, from the heat. What kind of things were you seeing? <laughs> uh, when you look at the horizon, then you see water, and then I, I saw all kinds of uh, animals, and there wasn't anything. But finally,
2: they made it to the forest island and the shade of the Chocolatal.
3: We went forward with the machete, and in the inner part, it lifted up, and it was like the trees were standing in a nice distance to each other and in harmony somehow at which point he was like fuck the
2: brazil nuts i want to make this cacao famous he wondered if he was staring at the greatest development opportunity of his career if the international market got excited about wild cacao the beans would command much more money the pickers could make a living the tradition would survive and the chocolatales could be preserved he couldn't quite see how the numbers were going to work but he knew it was now or never As Volker continued to explore the region by foot, boat, and horseback, he fell under its spell. Vast wetlands with 100-mile views, lush rainforest, more wildlife than he'd ever seen, macaws, capybaras, weaver birds, jaguars, and tons of cacao just waiting to be properly fermented. And then came the moment that whipped the trajectory of his life in a new
3: and unexpected direction somebody said hey there's a place uh, on sale are you interested i uh, actually it hit uh, a long term wish you know to buy buy a piece of land yeah to have my own farm maybe and in <laughs> And maybe have a secure place uh, when uh, the world goes to hell, you know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and Well, it didn't go to hell, but eventually it will, you know.
2: <laughs> Tranquility, after the break. Want a taste of some of this God-level chocolate? We got you covered. Kaleidoscope has joined forces with Louisa Abram and Stetler Chocolate to make a special box to go along with this very podcast. Now you can sample flavors from the banks of the Amazon without having to fight off jaguars and anacondas. Just visit www.stetler-chocolate.com to order your wild chocolate today. Check the link in the show notes.
0: Ready? Okay.
1: at purdueglobal.edu.
2: You're listening to Wild Chocolate. I think
3: that's it. That's... Here we stop. Because we can get lost. <laughs> yeah,
2: Volker yeah. and I are walking in Tranquilidad in the chocolate hall he bought all those years ago. Yeah. It's shady and warm and still. The ground is smooth with waxy leaves. The trunks of the cacao trees are spaced evenly apart like the columns of some temple.
3: These are all Wait, cacao too. Yes, yeah, it's all cacao. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five. No, oh, whatever. It's a lot. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, and uh, the spacing—it looks like that somebody, you know, measured the spacing. You you could actually think about, hey, somebody planted these trees, you know. <laughs> they are in a row. No, it's just just natural pattern.
2: Yeah. So, not planted. But maybe not entirely natural, depending on how you define natural. Volker has a theory.
3: I say, uh, there was a hunter, and he had a cacao pot. Right. And he was sucking on the beans, and every 10 steps, he spit out the beans and sucked again. And 10 steps later, he sucked, and he spit out the beans.
2: This is what you always do when you walk through a palm: You absentmindedly grab a pod, split it open, and scoop a goopy handful of white pulp and seeds into your mouth. Oh yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. As you walk, you suck the juice off the seeds. The flavor is sweet and tart, deliciously refreshing in the heat of the jungle. Then you spit out the seeds and grab another pod, and your walk gets a little bit nicer. People have been making that beautiful sound for 10,000 years. And wherever you hear it, a baby cacao tree is born. Volker paid a visit to the chocolate hall that was for sale. It was huge, magical. He followed footpaths through the woods where generations of people had picked cacao. He opened a pod and tasted the juice. Monkeys chattered at him from the trees. The ground was nice and high, unlikely to flood. He knew if he didn't buy it, the next buyer would probably clear the forest. And something tugged at him. So he came up with $10,000 and bought it on the spot. And then it was time to test his theory. Could these beans really make great chocolate? He picked some pods, fermented the beans as well as he knew how, and made them into chocolate.
3: It has almost no bitterness. It has a sweetness. Um, somehow between floral and and um, dark uh, darker fruits, and and it and it goes back and forth. There is nothing really that compares the um, the overall flavors, the spectrum of different flavors during the time you have it in your mouth. There is nothing, you know, there's nothing like this.
2: The rest seemed simple. He'd
3: make the world's most beautiful beans
2: and bring the chocolate industry to Bolivia's doorstep. And he'd live right here. And here's where things get a little bit cosmic. As he cleared a patch of ground to build a house, out of the red earth, came gave a clay pot. And then another, and another. They were beautiful with fluted necks and intricate etched patterns. And they were a thousand years old. As Volker kept digging, the treasures kept coming. One day at Tranquilidad, he showed
3: them to me. These are artifacts found here. There's an axe, two different axes. That's a beauty. Yeah. Um, They have strings attached and then they were hanging. Uh This is actually uh, a toy. (laughs) It was a doll, probably, for a kid to play with. Amazing. Yeah.
2: The artifacts were the remnants of an ancient settlement. Soon archaeologists visited. The Chocolatales were part of a massive network of earthen platforms, terraces, pyramids, causeways, and canals. This network stretched across thousands of square miles. So, this part of the Amazon wasn't just primordial wilderness, it was the overgrown orchards and plazas and streets of a sophisticated culture known as the Casarabe. And a thousand years ago, their civilization
3: was hopping. Probably a couple of million people living here, pre-Columbian. I think the largest community of native people in the Amazon were in in this part of Bolivia and Brazil. This may
2: have been the source of rumors about the lost city of Z. The Casarabe civilization disappeared around the year 1400 for unknown reasons. But one thing we know about them is that they loved cacao. The reason Tranquilidad and the other chocolatales are filled with cacao trees is because for hundreds of years, the people who lived there were eating cacao and spitting out the seeds. Some of the trees today are the same trees the Casarabe used. Tranquilidad was, in a sense, a ghost island of ancient beings.
3: For the entire ecosystem, it's it's a very valuable tree. It doesn't die. It survives droughts, flooding, and on top of it, it brings us the food of the gods.
2: He set up the artifacts on a little altar in the corner of his house. And he began thinking of himself as just a small part of a larger story the place was telling.
3: I, basically, I see it not as an owner, I see it as a piece of land that nature gives it to me for a certain, certain amount of time, but I would leave it as, as best as I can.
2: Volker needed to partner with a chocolate maker, so he began taking the beans to trade shows. But every buyer he met looked at him like he was crazy.
3: I said, I have wild cacao, and they said, uh, there is not such a thing. And I said, there is wild cacao in the Amazon. No, no, cacao comes from Ecuador. Okay. <laughs> and they were not alone, right? I assume... No, the everybody, everybody outside. was ignorant. Everybody.
2: He finally got the attention of Felchlin, a famous old Swiss chocolate house. Felchlin was competing with the top French companies in the gourmet chocolate world, and it was always on the hunt for something that would set it apart from its rivals. The buyer asked for a sample of the beans to test in their lab in Switzerland. So Volker sent off the beans right away. That thing he'd been chasing for years? He could almost taste it. But what if he was wrong? What if the beans weren't as special as he thought? No, on that point, he trusted himself. And he was right. Soon, Felschlin asked for another 400 kilos so they could run some test batches on the big equipment. Oh yes, he said, no problem, absolutely. Then he walked outside and stared into his chocolate hall and wondered how the hell he was going to do that he spent two sweaty months in the jungle picking by hand. He worked dawn to dusk until he personally harvested a ton of fresh cacao. Then he fermented it and dried it as best he could and sent it to Switzerland. Then he crossed his fingers and waited and waited. And finally, the call came. Could he please come to Switzerland for a meeting? So he cleaned himself up and crossed the Atlantic.
3: And they were like, yeah, we want this. It was smooth and rich, and it's very distinct. And this is also something uh, Felschlin told, uh, told me. The chocolate is clearly distinct. And this is w- why we are interested, you know. And then came the big question, how many tons? And, and then I was like, um, uh, uh, I don't know.
2: <laughs> he really didn't know. He had no clue how much he could get his hands on and ferment properly. But Felschlin said, get us as much as you can. We want it all. They had big plans for this cacao. They wanted to make a whole new bar, unlike any that had been made before. The world's first wild bar. They already had a name for it, Cru Sauvage. That bar was going to blow the staid world of chocolate wide open. And it would take Volker Lehman on a wild ride. It would make him famous but it would also nearly destroy him. That's still to come. I'll always remember something Volker said to me when he was recounting the parade of dreamers who had marched into the Amazon over the centuries, seeking gold and glory. There's no Bolivia for dummies, he said. Many people have lost their fortunes here. What he couldn't have known when he said it was that he was going to be next.
3: Look on the face of your wife uh, saying there's no money. Uh, What do you mean by there's no money? (laughs) There was always money. Yeah, but now there's no more money. Man, you must have been furious at a lot of people. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, with a gun in my hand, I would have killed some people, maybe. Yeah. Yeah.
2: On the next episode of Wild Chocolate,
1: I could feel myself falling down this rabbit hole. Sometimes I talk about chocolate-like music, and this was like, you know, a classic symphony orchestra, just beautiful. The Vatican of chocolate. I got 550 bars on the shelf. Holy moly. These young Italians show up, and we've heard all sorts of things. that You know, somebody got shot over this, and da-da-da-da-da-da.
2: Wild Chocolate is a Kaleidoscope production with iHeart Podcasts. Hosted and reported by me, Rowan Jacobson, and produced by Shane McKeon at Nice Marmot Media. Edited by Kate Osborne and Mangesh Hadakudor. Sound design and mixing by Soundboard. Original music composition by Spencer Stevenson, a.k.a. Botany. Production help from Bahini Shori. From my heart, our executive producers are Katrina Norvell and Nikki Etor. Special thanks to Laura Mayer, Costas Linos, Oz Wallachan, Aaron Kaufman, Will Pearson, Honol Byrne, Bob Pittman, Daria Daniel, and the team at Stetler who are helping us make a very special chocolate of our own. That's right. We're working with Louisa and others to protect the rainforest and make delicious Amazonian chocolate. Visit www.stetler-chocolate.com to taste it for yourself. That's www.stetler-chocolate.com. If you want to hear more of this type of content, nothing is more important to the creators here at Kaleidoscope than subscribers, ratings, and reviews. Please spread the love wherever you listen.
0: Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Give me a date night. Give me some smiles. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.
1: information.